Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. It's, I mean, you just name it. You just keep unpacking it. And for your lifetime, you get to unwrap all these gifts from Jesus. Why? Because he came. Because he came. And because he died and rose again. Who else does that? Nobody else does that. We don't do that. I don't, it's not on my birthday. If I ever remember it, I don't give out other people gifts. I'm like, hey, it's my birthday. Happy, happy birthday to you from me. You know, nobody does that. That's insane. That's insane. Nobody would do it. Well, but that's how God does it. When we think about the Christmas season, the idea of gifts usually comes to mind. We get gifts for friends, for family, and for loved ones. Christmas celebrates the birth of Jesus Christ. When you think about it, we don't get Him anything, but He has given us everything. In today's message, Pastor James will be sharing about the gifts that God gives us. The best is salvation, being able to be in close relationship with Him again. But we spend the rest of our lives unwrapping the good gifts that He has for us. Now turn in your Bible to the book of Isaiah chapter 9 as Pastor James begins his message, The Greatest Gift. Turn with me to Isaiah. Isaiah where? Isaiah chapter 7, please. Actually, Isaiah, let's go into chapter 8. We'll, we'll cover some of chapter 7, but chapter 8 is where we're going we're gonna to set up our, our base camp for today. Um, like I said from the beginning, uh, timing is everything. Time is, timing is everything. And if, you, if you've been walking with the Lord for any certain amount of time, you understand that uh, timing is everything and timing with the Lord is perfect. And it absolutely at times makes no sense to you. Okay, um, it is perfectly confusing at times why he waits so long. Maybe to answer your prayers that you've been praying for. There's a story of a family from, uh, it was back in the early 1900s. They were living in Yugoslavia uh, and a, a, a sickness had overtaken their village and half of their community had died. Uh, it was this, this illness was wiping out the entire community, children, uh, elderly, I mean, People were, were just being taken out by this, uh, this illness. And uh, if this illness came into your family, what you would have to do is go outside of your door and put a black X over your door so that everybody know to stay away because your house is now being quarantined. And uh, best of luck to you if you make it through the night is, was kind of the thing. But this illness, it, it, was, it was just ravaging this, this small community. And you have a young couple who had already lost their three, their three children uh, they had succumbed to the illness and they passed away. And then on this night, it's actually it a Christmas Eve night, dad had uh, felt the illness coming upon him and the fever was increasing inside of him. And he was communicating to his wife. He says, listen, I'm not going to see Christmas. I'm not going to see Christmas. This will be it for me. And they had literally just buried their three children. And his wife was staring out the window thinking like, this is Christmas. But a verse came to her mind, Psalm 121, verse 1, uh, I will look to the hills from where my help comes from. My help is in the Lord. My hope is in the Lord. And at that moment, she's staring out this window, and the Lord had so graciously reminded her of the fact that this is the darkest moment in their lives. There in the distance, she could see somebody approaching their house. It's cold. It's stormy. Somebody came out to battle 
the, the weather, the, the, the dangers, and ignoring the black X's on the doors, approached their house. And it was an old lady. And she handed her this, this vial of stuff, and she said, this will save your family. And, she, and at this point in time, this wife, grieving mother, uh, soon to be grieving uh, wife, as widow, uh, this, this lady tells her, like, this will, save, this will save your husband. Here's what you do. She took it to her husband. It saved her husband. This perfect gift came at the darkest moment of the night, came at the perfect time, came at a perfect time. And that scenario plays into where the nation of Israel was concerning when this prophecy was given. In Isaiah chapter, I'm sorry, I said eight, but it's chapter nine. My brain is all over the place. Yeah, just turn over one. You're good. You're good. Um, You should already know where I was going, right? No, okay. Um, This prophecy came at the right time. And isn't it incredible that that's how the Lord works in our lives? I don't know about you guys, but there's, there's been many dark moments within my life, dark seasons, winter, winter seasons within my life where it's like, okay, Lord, I don't know if we're going to make it through the night. Like, and then off in the distance, you see him approaching. They're approaching with whatever remedy it needs to be for you at that moment in time. Whatever remedy that needs to be, he knows when to show up and how to deliver that, that saving thing. Look at Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. Let's, I just want you, I want to read through these verses. Um, verse 1. I'll, I'll explain the context in a second. But verse 1 of chapter 9 in Isaiah, it says this. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will soon be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light, a light that will shine on all who live in the land where death casts its shadow. Israel will again be great, and its people will rejoice as people rejoice at harvest time. They will shout with joy like warriors dividing the plunder. For God, verse 4, will break the chains that bind his people and the whip that scourges them, just as he did when he destroyed the army of Midian with Gideon's little band, little soldier, little army of 300, right? Technically, it's not even an army. It was a little band. They had trumpets and clay jars, okay? Not intimidating at all. But it doesn't matter to God. Doesn't matter to him. He can use whatever and whoever. Verse 5, in that day of peace, battle gear will no longer be issued. Never again will uniforms be bloodstained by war. All such equipment will be burned. Verse 6, for a child is born to us. A son is given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. These will be his royal titles. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His ever-expanding, peaceful government will never end. He will rule forever with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David. The passionate commitment of the Lord Almighty will guarantee this. This prophecy came at the darkest moment in Israel's history, 
the Assyrian army was marching to overtake them. It was a done deal. And they had it coming. The nation of Israel had it coming. Why? Because God loves his people and he will not allow them to continue in their rebellion. And so he was sending the invading armies. But even in the midst of that, he's given them a heads up that is going to apply to them for the most part at that point in time. But this also is a prophecy that would be fulfilled hundreds of years later. But it's a dark night in Israel. It's a dark night in Israel because they know the invading armies are coming. And here is God through his prophet Isaiah who says, hey, fear not. It's going to be okay. How's it going to be okay? Because I'm going to give you a baby. And you're like, what? A baby? Yeah, no, no, not just any baby. The baby. God in flesh. God incarnate. Jesus, the second part of this triune God that we worship. In your darkest night, your greatest need is Jesus. And he's not in a baby form anymore. Praise God for that. We understand that. But in their darkest night, what they needed, they needed to be reminded that a king was coming. They needed to be reminded that a king was coming and his government would be a theocracy, a God-centered, God-ruled government. They had far gotten off track, so far off the track where God, he just can't allow it anymore. So he's going to send some correction their way. But in the midst of that, in that dark night, when all hope seems lost, Isaiah stands up and says, hey, listen, a child, a child is born to us. A child has been given to us, to us. Who else on their birthday gives presents to other people? Nobody does that except for Jesus, except for God Almighty, who says, the birth of my son, you know what? I'm going to hook all you up. Whoever wants it, greatest gift ever, come and take it. Well, what's attached to that? You know those Russian nesting dolls, right, where you open one, and then there's another, and then there's another, another, another? That's kind of how it works with God. You think, I'm receiving Jesus, and, that's, and it's like, oh, no, that's just the top of it. I mean, let's just keep going. It's everlasting life. Yeah, it's peace. It's joy. It's fruit, fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's, I mean, you just name it. You just keep unpacking it. And for your lifetime, you get to unwrap all these gifts from Jesus. Why? Because he came. Because he came. And because he died and rose again. Who else does that? Nobody else does that. We don't do that. I don't, it's not on my birthday. If I ever remember it, I don't give out other people gifts. I'm like, hey, it's my birthday. Happy, happy birthday to you from me. You know, nobody does that. That's insane. That's insane. Nobody would do it. Well, but that's how God does it. God says, yeah, the night is dark. Hope seems lost. Hope seems lost. But I'm going to give you a gift. But I'm going to give you a gift. This isn't the first time this gift has been referenced or even mentioned to the nation of Israel or to even to us. You have a Bible, you can turn all, you don't need to do this right now, but if you want to truly appreciate Christmas, go back into Genesis. Starting Genesis chapter one, verse one. We're not here without Genesis chapter one. We're not. This earth doesn't exist unless God created it. 
unless he spoke it into existence. And then throughout that, throughout the process of the days, I mean, you really want to turn your Christmas upside down and just read Genesis 1. You know, like grass, God made it. Trees, God made it. Christmas trees, those are fake. Man made those. Uh, But these right here are real. God made these things, right? So you gain all this appreciation of like who, who he is and how awesome he is, and he's just a God who just continually gives, gives from the very beginning, giving, giving, creating, forming, fashioning. So you get to that sixth day, and he's like, okay, now it's time for the pinnacle, the top, the pièce de résistance, right? Like, that's it, right? You like that? That's French. Um, there you go. Um, that's about all I know. Uh, like, the crown of creation was made out of dirt. It's made out of clay. He formed this guy. He's going to call him Adam, which means man. And the miracle of all miracles, we went through Genesis. We got to see this. God forms man and stoops down and breathes into his lungs, performs mouth-to-mouth CPR on this clay figure, and he comes alive. Kind of like Frosty. Gets the hat, and he comes alive. He breathes into his lungs, and then, I mean, it's just life. It's life. And at that moment in time, it was life everlasting, until sin entered in. And that's where you find yourself, Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They, that sin, they rebelled against God. God said, hey, you can eat whatever fruit you want to. Okay, please understand that about the Genesis chapter 3 story. It wasn't like God's like, hey, don't eat that fruit from that tree. You need to flip that around to where God says, hey, you see all these trees and this fruit? Knock yourself out. This one? You need to stay away from that one. It's for your own good. Don't touch that one. But look at all these other trees. See, sometimes when people communicate that story, they're like, it's almost as if God is singling out this, saying, hey, no, bad, bad, bad. Stay away. You know, as if he's withholding something. He's like, no, he opened up the entire garden to these people and says, you can have whatever you want. Just stay away from this one because this one will cause you problems. And they said, okay. And then the snake or whatever... He actually literally was. It's Satan in the form of something, um, slithers in, so to speak, and says, hey, why would God want to withhold from you the opportunity to be like him? Seems selfish. Well, no, no, no. This is the most selfless God ever. He is continually giving and creating for us. Satan's like, no, 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 no. He is withholding from you. He's a God who takes not a God who gives. That's a lie. That's a lie. He's a God who gives. Do, are things taken away in our lives? Yeah, they are. But maybe if we understand what that is in proper perspective, we'd understand that quite possibly that could be God giving us something. But Satan's going to come in there and say, no, 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 he doesn't want you to be like him, so he's withholding this awesome thing from you. And they bought into it. They rebelled against God. They took of the fruit. And then there was sin. And then God shows up walking through the garden like he would do to spend time with his creation. And they're now hiding from him. And he calls them out on it. And the plan was initiated there. The plan was already figured out in heaven, but the plan was initiated in Genesis chapter 3. And he says, listen, I'm going to send the Savior. 
you messed it up, but I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. So it goes back into Genesis chapter 3. But you got a long time between Genesis chapter 3 to Isaiah chapter 9. And this is a good reminder for them. But you're going to have another long time before you get to Bethlehem. But what we need to understand is this. God is faithful. He is true to his word. And he will show up when he's supposed to show up. He will. It might not be on your time schedule, but you're going to have to get over that. What you are doing is creating more conflict in your life. You're creating more stress in your life. You need to be a little bit more carefree and trusting in him, saying, all right, it's your time frame, right, God? What do I have to worry about? And then the enemy whispers in your ear, he's like, well, I got a list for you. Um, you need to worry about this, 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 and this. And then you have your own self, your own flesh that you have to, because you yourself have your own list. And it's like, well, I need to worry about this, 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 and this. And God's like, hey, don't worry about it. I got it all under control. I got it all under control. The scripture reading we read, Billy read today from, from Galatians chapter 4. When the time was right, God sent his son. It lined up perfectly. We know that it lined up perfectly because we had all these Old Testament prophecies. Isaiah chapter 7 talked about how the son would be born of a virgin. Well, you got to wait for whoever that, for them, you got to wait for whoever that was going to be. Well, it was Mary. And not just Mary, but you have a Joseph who's included in with that story. He needed to be a faithful man. Joseph should be a hero within the Bible. He does not get enough I don't want to say praise, maybe enough props, right? Okay, enough recognition. Joseph was an honorable man. If you're not familiar with that story, he, he gets, listen, he's left in the, the shadows and all that stuff. I, I get it, right? But read the Christmas story. That guy was amazing. He was amazing. Just take into consideration. You're betrothed to you and your girl, you're betrothed. You're going to get married. You're basically engaged. There's just been no consummation of the marriage. She comes to you one day and she says, um, listen, I need to tell you something. Um, I'm pregnant. And he's like, what? Um, and she's like, oh, no, no, no. But God put this baby in me. He's like, what? Um, okay. No, see, culturally for them, he would have every right to publicly shame Mary publicly and be rid of her. I mean, he would have every right and he would have the support of the community and the religious leaders to drag her out into the streets and tell what she did to him. But that's not what he did. Praise God, an angel shows up in Joseph's life. But even if the angel hadn't shown up, we already know from Joseph that he had already had a plan where he was going to secretly put her away. That speaks volumes to this man's character. Volumes. Because he could have been like, man, she stepped out on me and now she's pregnant. And he loved Mary. He loved Mary incredibly. Enough to say, you know what? I'm just going to put her away secretly, silently. Because I don't want to hurt her. I don't want to hurt her. I don't want to bring any shame to her. And that's how much this guy loved her. That's, how, that's the character that this guy had. And then an angel shows up and says, Joseph, listen, whatever, what she told you is true. God has selected Mary to bring the Messiah into the world. Joseph, God has selected you to be the stepdad of Jesus. 
you get to raise the baby Jesus. And he did his job. He did his job. We don't know what happened to Joseph. We, we, have, we have no indication. Passed away at some point in time within the life of Jesus. We don't know how. We don't know any of that stuff. But we do know when those two were on this planet, when the time was exactly right, God showed up. And this promise was delivered on. Uh, we were watching a video yesterday concerning the prophecies uh, for our men's Bible study, the prophecies concerning Jesus. And there's estimates of how many are actually out there. Is it 400? Is it 40? Even if it's 40 for Jesus to fulfill these prophecies that are beyond his control is a miracle. I don't know how, you didn't get to pick your family. You know that, right? Like, there wasn't like some negotiation deal before you showed up on this earth and you got to like maybe draw, you know, a card out of a hat or something like, oh, I'm going with the grizzles, I guess. Okay, cool, right? That's not how it works. God has assigned you and you're born into the family you're born into. That's how that works. But you have no control over that. Jesus was going to be born to Mary, and Joseph would be his stepdad. He was going to be born into that family. Now, being creator, he does have some control over that. But then you have to acknowledge the fact that he's God, okay? <laughs> he's not a normal man. Yes, he is 100% man, but he's also 100% God. So that's incredible in and of itself. But when he was going to be born, where he was going to be born, the fact that you're going to have a crazy madman who's running the country, so to speak, who's going to be calling a census at this point in time that's going to drive them from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, which is somewhere around 90 miles, in the last trimester of Mary's, you know, you don't travel in the last one. You just don't do that. Everybody knows that. You certainly don't go by donkey or by cart, okay? That's what they had to do. Why? Because the word said he would be born in Bethlehem. You don't, you don't get to pick and plan that out. And not, Mary and Joseph aren't like trying to hustle this thing and be like, okay, so what we need to do is um, we'll start off in Nazareth because that's what the word says. And then we got to work our way down. So let's try to figure out how we can manipulate the king to call a census that's going to drive us back down to Bethlehem. Are you serious? You understand the, the providence that's happening here, that God is in control. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, that guy's going to go nuts and is going to want to kill our baby. And so we're going to have to flee to Egypt for a little bit until he dies, and then it's safe to come back. Yeah, you have no control over that. None. No control. These are all prophecies that Jesus is fulfilling as a baby, as a baby. That doesn't even count all the ones, how he, how he strolled into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, on the exact day it was prophesied. The exact day it was prophesied, thousands of years prior to that, the exact day. Well, you had to be born on this day and live, you know, your life here, here, and here in order to, for that to be, even be fulfilled. Yeah, God's in control. He knows how to do it. So for the nation of Israel, during this dark time, this, this prophecy, this encouragement was given to them. It was given to us as well. And, and I, just to remind you, to remind myself... For a child is born to us, to us. A son is given to us. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You have been given the greatest gift humanity has ever known.
far would you go to follow Jesus? The shepherds ran into a town that didn't accept them in order to find the Christ child. The wise men traveled across the world following a star to worship the newborn king. As you're immersed in the Christmas season, celebrating the coming of the Messiah, don't forget that this newborn baby would one day pick up his cross and die in your place. The one who left heaven behind to become one of us has also asked you to pick up your cross and follow him. So how far will you go to follow the Savior? You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Today, Pastor James shared a special Christmas message celebrating the birth of Jesus and the coming of our salvation. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. We're so glad that you decided to join us for today's special message. The Christmas season is one of new hope and new life. If you'd like to be a part of sharing that life with the world, partner with us financially in this coming year. To find out how, head over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. And as we move into the new year, we'd like to invite you to celebrate the life we find in Jesus together in person. So come see us on Sunday at 10 a.m. or Thursday at 7 p.m. We'd love to worship God together with you. Our gatherings are pretty simple and uncomplicated, and we're sure that you'll fit right in. Well, that's all that we have for today. Merry Christmas, and we'll see you here again next time with more from Bread for the Broken. Bread for the Broken